Podcasting from Oregon in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, welcome to Eye on Global Politics. Sit back, relax, and get ready to explore some of today's most pressing international issues. Now, here is your host, international relations scholar, author, and founder of the International Law Education Group, Dr. Paul F.J. Aranyas. And good evening. It's 9 p.m. and you're tuned in to the ILEG radio show coming at you live from the heart of Oregon's Willamette Valley on the West Coast. Broadcasting around the world on Radio IELEducationGroup.org and IonGlobalPolitics.com. I'm your host, Paul F.J. Ranyas, for the next hour. I'm going to be talking about Ukraine and what's going on in the world. As the West created an atmosphere of distrust. What does the recent admission from Angela Merkel mean? Why so much deception? Can we create a path to peace? Let's get started. So recently, a few days back, last week, Angela Merkel admitted that the Minsk agreements, the Minsk agreement was just a ruse. It was just to buy time to arm the Ukrainian military and to better the economy for more conflict. The Russian president, Vladimir Putin, said he was disappointed by the former chancellor's recent comments regarding the Minsk agreements, which is now defunct. In this, she admitted it was a ruse to buy Ukraine more time to build up its military. Putin said, what can you say to that? He believed that Russia's partners, Berlin and Paris, were treating Russia with sincerity. Was that naive? Putin continues, he says, as it turns out, nobody intended to fulfill any part of the Minsk agreements. I thought the, par- the, I thought the other participants of this agreement were at least honest, but no. It turns out that they were also lying to us and only wanted to pump up Ukraine with weapons and get it prepared for a military conflict. Apparently, we got our bearings too late, to be honest. Maybe we should have started all this, the military operation, earlier. But we just hoped that we would be able to solve it within the framework of the Minsk agreements. Now, if you're not aware with what the Minsk agreements are, the Minsk agreements were signed uh, with France and Germany being, being the mediator, and the OSC was involved, and the parties between the, the, the Donetsk People's Republic and the regime in Kiev. 
And it was agreement to make Don, the Donbass an autonomous region within the Federal Republic, uh, within a Ukraine. So it was not for a new country, a separatism, but it was to make Donetsk have local autonomy, to withdraw heavy weaponry, to get the mercenaries out, to get forces out, and to have peace, to have a peace, a peaceful coexistence within Ukraine, within the borders of Ukraine. Now, what Angela Merkel said mirrored what former President Poroshenko said about the Minsk agreements. Basically, basically, he said the same thing. It was just to bide time to bring in weapons and training for the Ukrainian military for a future conflict. Poroshenko was just on NBC not too long ago, and the anchor asked, the, the reporter asked him, what do you think about uh, the prospect for negotiations with Russia for a peace negotiation? And he, he started out by saying, we have the best negotiator. The best negotiator there is. And it sounded like he was going to laud his diplomatic corps or some envoy. But he said, we have a great negotiator. It's the Ukrainian military. And he was talking about total victory. It's the same extremism that started the war in the first place. With the coup in 2014. And Poroshenko was up there speaking about we will have jobs, they won't have jobs. We will have pensions, they won't have pensions. Our children will go to schools, their children in the Dunbass will hide in basements and cellars. Is that any way to talk about your own people? These are Ukrainian citizens. These are Ukrainians in the east of the country that happen to be Russian-speaking and ethnic Russians. Let's not forget that this country was united under the USSR not too long ago. They're very similar languages. They're similar cultures. They're some... They're almost one people or brother peoples. And, and many say, and, and I'd say that that's what makes this war that much more tragic. Any war is tragic. But it didn't have to happen. But you can see the extremism coming through with Poroshenko's statement even this last week. Where the great negotiator is not the diplomatic corps, but it's the military. He wants to vanquish Russia everywhere it is in Crimea and the Donbass, even though these people have chosen to go with Russia, that have allied themselves with Russia, that feel Russian, that indeed are Russian, ethnically Russian, Russian speaking. And it didn't have to break down into a separatist conflict as we talked about last show, it did not have to break into a, a war. Originally, the people of the East protested for a federal Ukraine, where they'd have local autonomy. I mean, that's only natural, right? When, when you have an illegitimate government come to power. I, I don't want to stretch, uh, put forth 
an analogy, but there are analogies to be had, say, in the United States, if we had a coup that was funded and supported by a foreign power. And this coup meant the oppression, the subjugation of an ethnic minority in this country. And when this when that ethnic minority protested for local autonomy so they could have their basic rights. Neo-Nazi battalions brought in to terrorize them. Would, would, would that group, if it was bordered by that power, not want to be separate from those that are sending these Nazi battalions, killing them on a daily basis? Would that not be the natural result? Sure, and that's what happened. That was the natural result. One thing led to another. Protests led to calling the protesters terrorists and separatists, which led to the Ukrainian military being sent in, which led to the Ukrainian military refuse, be, many, many of them refusing to fire on their own civilians, which led to the extremists in power, people like Poroshenko, led them to bring in neo-Nazi battalions, Azov, and the like. And they had no problem with terrorizing their own people for eight years. So we know there's extremists in Ukraine that are in power right now. And one could say Zelensky is an extremist or he's just a figurehead because the power that surrounds him, the extremists surround, that surround him are the real power. And it's usually like that. It's usually like that in, in any uh, system. Not every system, but in many systems, it's the people that surround the head that are the real power. And in this case, it's not just his own extremists that surround him. The nationalists, the Banderites. But it's the Western powers that are pushing to hurt Russia that are also taking an extreme position. Foreign Policy magazine. ran a recent piece saying that Russia and Ukraine may have agreed on a tentative deal to end the war back in April. And one of the things that, one of the central elements that scuttled that deal was the arrival of Boris Johnson in Kiev, in which he urged Ukrainian President Zelensky to break off talks with Russia, saying that President Putin cannot be negotiated with and the West isn't ready for the war to end.
Why? My goodness, why? How much bloodshed could have been spared if the war had ended in April? How many husbands could have gone home to their wives Brothers to their sisters, sons to their mothers and fathers, if this war had ended in April. But the West wasn't ready for this war to end. And everything that the West has done, concrete actions, backs up this notion. The flooding of the country with weapons. Why? Because they they saw an avenue, a road to try to hurt Russia. They said, oh, we think that Russia isn't as strong as we thought. And we'll talk about that, their miscalculation, but that's what they thought. They thought they could really hurt Russia. They had Russia in a bad position. And so let's flood this this country with weapons and humiliate Russia, maybe maybe have regime change in Russia. That's what they're all clamoring for. Which is a folly because it doesn't look like Vladimir Putin is going anywhere, but if, I underscore, if that fantasy happened who's to say what you get is not more hardline than Putin in fact that is very much the probable course of a- course of events that would take place if there was a change in power in Moscow look at what Medvedev how he's been talking during this whole conflict or maybe a Rogozin, or some someone else that we don't know. You think they're going to be softer? I I doubt that. And many have have looked at Putin's actions and President Putin's actions, and along the way, we've seen many. Times when there were real attempts made to negotiate with the West. Numerous times. 2008, 2014, Putin was laying every step of the way, he's laying it out for, for the West. These are red lines. Don't Think that Ukraine is going to be coming, becoming a part of NATO. This is a red line. I mean, it, 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 he's, almost, he's been spelling it out for, for the West for 20 years. Respect our interests. Respect our, 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 our borders, our boundaries around us. And stop encroaching on us with your with with your with your military alliance and bringing your weaponry and in your your bases right up to our border. 
I mean, he's been laying it out for 20 years. And why is it that the West can't deal mano a mano, one-to-one, on a fair and even playing field, recognizing someone else's interests? The United States had the Monroe, it's pretty much still in effect, but the Monroe Doctrine, they still think it's in effect, where they want to control their hemisphere. The Western Hemisphere belongs to the U.S., and the U.S. shall dominate everything that goes on in it. And hence, when you get a Hugo Chavez or a Cuba, someone else, the U.S. goes in there, meddles, overthrows Chile, Allende, democratically elected, even democratically elected President Chavez was democratically elected as well. And they killed Allende. The CIA supported that. And yet, the Russians aren't supposed to have any interest around their country. The United States wants the entire Western Hemisphere as a buffer. But the Russians, they're they're just supposed to tolerate a hostile adversary all along their border, near European border. Why? Does that make any sense? Is that fair? No, it's not fair. Congress recently rejected an audit of the arms going into Ukraine. The Republican Party, or some members supported by Republicans, wanted to audit the money going into Ukraine, the the weapons going into Ukraine. Is that a bad idea? No, it's a common sense idea. There was just a a, a presentation from a law professor from the University of Pittsburgh, I believe, that gave a presentation to the United Nations and he was he's an expert in arms transfers and he's dealt a lot with Latin America and proliferation of arms in conflict zones and just said these weapons are going into a black hole and they're ending up on the black market they're ending up in, in Europe and beyond with extremist groups and the ones that are making it in the right place and he witnessed this himself are being used and hitting civilians in the Donbass, he he personally witnessed a, a school, I believe a hospital, some s- other civilian objects being hit, and he presented that that to the United Nations. Representatives of the Republican Party on December 6th rallied behind a, a sponsor, a resolution to audit the U.S. military and economic aid for Ukraine. The measure presented before the House Foreign Affairs Committee was defeated in a 26 to 22 vote due to the unity of the Democrats who still control the panel. Representatives of the panel commented that approving the audit is a risky measure that sends a signal to Ukraine about doubts 
with regard to U.S. support. This is not the time for us to be divided, said Representative Gregory W. Meeks of New York, the committee's top Democrat. Doubts about backing for Ukraine, that's $100 billion this year. It'll be $100 billion plus this year of U.S. taxpayer money going to Ukraine, and they don't want to audit it? They don't want to audit where it's going because they think it will signal doubts? about where it's going? Who do they think they're giving this money to? Oxfam? The Vatican? The Dalai Lama? They're giving this money to one of the most corrupt countries on the face of the earth. Definitely the most corrupt country in Europe and one of the top countries, corrupt countries on planet earth. And it's been like that since the fall of the Soviet Union. And it got extremely much worse when they had a coup back by the West in 2014. But it's always, it's been corrupt. And it's a corrupt country and it's not a democracy like we talked about last time. Zelensky's banned opposition media. Zelensky's banned opposition parties. Now he's raiding Christian monasteries. Proposing to ban the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. They don't want to have an audit because they think it'll send a signal to Ukraine. Which country is the power? Is is Ukraine running the United States budgetary process? Is Ukraine in charge of U.S. fiscal policy? Or are we supposed to have some kind of oversight of where our tax dollars are going? You know, people, hardworking plumber, hardworking teacher, someone working construction, getting money taken out of his check, and his representatives don't want to audit where $100 billion is going because they think Zelensky... And the people around him might be offended that we're not giving him the utmost support. Isn't $100 billion enough support as it is? And there shouldn't be $100 billion. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a crime. It's a, it, it's, it's a proxy war. When there's a path to peace, What do you think? Do you want to know where your money's going? Do you care where your money's going? Do you want it go into just to go on into a black hole? End up on the black market so some extremist neo-Nazi group in Europe can have a rocket propelled grenade and maybe aim it at some political office building that he 
doesn't like or an airplane coming out an airport one day. You know we've been here before, haven't we? When the United States armed the Mujahideen, the predecessor of Al-Qaeda, to fight the Soviets. They sent money in, funneled it through the ISI in Pakistan. ISI is Inter-Services Intelligence, the main intelligence agency for Pakistan. And that didn't work out very well in the end for, for the United States. And then you get a tragedy like 9-11, where World Trade Centers and people in, and people in the Pentagon are hit and civilians get hit. And people ask, why do they hate us? You trained them. You armed these people. You, I mean the government of the United States. Now, it's either one of two things. You don't care about the consequences. Or you're not too bright. You either don't care about what happens one year, five years, ten years from now with your short-sighted policy or you're not too bright. And you know what? I think these people know what they're doing. I think they know exactly what they're doing. And they don't care about the consequences because for them, it's about money. It's about contracts. It's about power. And the people in Ukraine, the ordinary conscript that's, that's being used as cannon fodder, and that's what Russia is saying right now. The West is use, using Ukrainians as cannon fodder. The ordi- ordinary Ukrainian means nothing to these people. Because if they meant anything at all, they would be taking a totally different path. And you could say, well, well, Zelensky, the Ukrainian regime there they're the one finally pulling the lever but you know what it's the west pulling the lever you have a puppet there in kiev they even say that zelensky has been being fed information when he said i don't need a ride i need ammo it's been reported that that was fed to him by the CIA through the, the embassy, the U.S. embassy. That was U.S. intelligence scripting him when he went before Parliament, the British Parliament. That was British intelligence giving him lines, scripting him. He's an actor. Why would somebody who cared about his own country take his country down this path? 
Like I said, there was a peace deal on the table in April. And from all reports that I've seen, it was to take the situation back to the February 23rd of this year. Where Russian troops to go back to where they were on the 23rd. And to guarantee local autonomy and rights for the people in the Donbass. The extremists in Ukraine didn't want to live with that. The West didn't want to live with that. Can you classify that as evil? Greed? I mean, greed is evil. All right, well, let's take a step back. What about history? What about some context? Iraq won. First Gulf War. April Glaspie. Who is April Glaspie? U.S. ambassador to Iraq at the time. And it was widely reported later that she said, we have no opinion on your Arab-Arab conflicts. And that Kuwait, is the issue is not associated with America. These are instructions from the State Department. We have no opinion on your Arab-Arab conflicts. That was right before Saddam Hussein went into Kuwait. And then it became a big deal. Did they want Saddam to go in there? Were they being deceptive? Were they using deception? And when Saddam retreated and announced the retreat out of Kuwait, and the, the UN mandate was to get him out of Kuwait, what happened? They bombed the column of Iraqi troops, the front and the end, and they were just sitting there stalled, and they mowed them down in the desert on Iraqi soil. Wholesale. Massacred them. Retreating soldiers. Outside the mandate, of the UN Security Council. Because wasn't the mandate to get them out of Kuwait? And once they were retreating, let them go back. Don't mow them down in the desert. Secondly, even before that, we all remember, you may remember, Naira, who went before Congress claiming that Iraqi soldiers were in Kuwait dumping babies onto the cold floor, incubators onto the cold floor. And that swung the vote, the opinion. George H.W. Bush used it, talked a lot about it. That swung opinion for authorizing war. Turned out she was the Kuwaiti ambassador's daughter, and she was coached by Hill and Knowlton, big PR firm, on how to act and how to present 
a big lie because reporters went in afterwards and interviewed hospital staff, nurses, and it never happened. Mainstream media, U.S. media, went in afterwards and it never happened, but they didn't think to investigate beforehand, to ask the next question. They just took it. And that's, that's, that's our media. They just take the government line. And, you know, in fact, what happens is U.S. intelligence often leaks, declassifies information that's false for the media itself. So the media is doing the government's bidding. What about Bosnia? The arms embargo. The United States was airlifting weapons, dropping them in at night, and the UN observers were watching them, watching it, documenting it, dropping weapons into that conflict, pouring oil on the flames. Let's go back even further. What about the promise of the United States to Russia not to move one inch to the east if Gorbachev allowed unification? And that was in the early 90s, 91. And the U.S. said, we will not move one inch east. NATO will not move past Germany. And it moved right up to the Russian border. Deception. What about recently the French in New Caledonia? Have a referendum for independence. And then Delta hits. And they have burial customs where they can't participate. So they ask the French, hey, let us engage in our cultural burial extended ceremonies and postpone this referendum Till next year. A reasonable request. And the French say, no. We go ahead with it. They boycott. The Independence Party's boycott. Got about 50% of the people show up. Probably a little less than that. Or about 50%. And the French declare victory. And say, oh, there was a big abstention rate. Don't give any context, but they voted overwhelmingly to stay with France. Is that honest behavior? And now we have, and there are many more examples that we can go over. As I said, in in Kosovo, there was a peaceful solution. The the Rambouillet Accords, we talked about this in other shows. The Rambouillet Accords provided a peace solution for the conflict in Kosovo. And what it said was, Kosovo will have autonomy, human rights monitors, etc., etc. And Milosevic, the Serbs, agreed. But they disagreed with one part, was, which was Appendix B. What is Appendix B, you might ask? It was the military portion, which said that the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia would have a 30,000 troop NATO occupation with full immunity, air, land, 
full immunity. Soldiers can do whatever they want. They can't be prosecuted. There's not a country, a sane country on earth that would have accepted that deal. And so Melosser said, what about United Nations peacekeepers? Some multinational United Nations. They said it had to be NATO. Madeleine Albright said it had to be NATO occupied. But they know nobody will accept that. And one high-level official in the United States said the Serbs needed some bombing. We're going to give them some bombing. That's what they did. They set the bar too high. In the Dayton Accords, to end the Bosnia War, they tried to change the land percentage. And at the last minute, Milosevic saw the, uh, the, 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 the percentage, the charts from behind the couch. And he said, how can I trust you guys? You mean you're changing the percentages that we had already agreed upon. And where does this come from? Where does this come from? Pravda? No, this comes from Richard Holbrook, the U.S. ambassador's memoirs. Deception. Is it that hard to be honest? To deal, do fair, square dealing? People are always going to point, oh, well, that's, uh, they're not honest. They're not honest. What about your own standards? We're not talking about them, North Korea, somebody else. We're talking about you, your government. How do you want your government to behave? Do you want it to behave like a criminal who lies and deceives and cheats, takes your money and you don't know where it goes? Funnels it down a black hole that kills people, ends up with terrorists, ends up with extremists, ends up hitting hospitals and schools, and you don't know because you're out of the loop? How is that any better than being under a dictatorship? We talk about democracy. Macron uh, recently said that the Ukrainian government is defending our principles. Are these the principles? Then it would be consistent. If those are the principles that Zelensky and his crowd are defending, then that would be consistent. If Macron is talking about deception, hypocrisy, extremism, then that would be consistent. Yeah, they are in line with their principles. Why so much deception? What do you think? The Bible says to take the plank out of your own eye before you take the splinter out of someone else's. Now the Democrats are here talking about they don't want an audit. The Democrats. They don't want an audit of where these weapons are going. And yet, isn't it true that we have a problem here in the United States? Is it not true that we have a major, major problem with gun violence that's, in, that's, that's all-encompassing in our country? It's really doing a number on our education system, on our 
schools on children in this country? Do you think it's not such a big deal? Of course you know it's a big deal. Every other week, we see a mass shooting. Every week we have a mass shooting. We just don't hear about maybe if it's four people being shot or three people being shot or five people being shot somewhere. Maybe it's a little headline, a glip here, but it's not CNN wall-to-wall coverage. They want the big one. You know, they, I'm sure they don't want it, but that's what they put out there. When there's 10 people, 8 people, 15 people, it goes out onto the headlines, wall-to-wall coverage. Of course, that's natural. It's a horrible event that's happening. But there are horrible events every day happening. Two people, four people, three people being killed in this country with gun violence. And you don't think there's a connection? Do you think there's a connection between the fact that our government goes overseas and pushes weapons with no regulation, without regulation? Talk about gun regulation. This country doesn't even want to audit where these weapons are going. What would they say if these weapons circled back around and ended up in a, in, in, in a, in a school somewhere with, uh, with uh, somebody with a, with a rocket-propelled grenade? Or in a European, more likely in a European school. Don't you want a regulation where your weapons are being sent and what they're being what what's happening with them? And for the Democratic Party to say it's too risky a measure because it sends a signal to Ukraine about doubts with regard to US support. Are you telling me, Democratic Party, that you care more about what some extremists which with documented ties to neo-Nazis. And if, if you doubt that, if you think that's just a Russian talking point, then go to ionglobalpolitics.com and look at Ukraine resources for intellectual self-defense. And you'll see that from the Western sources, from Western sources, from their very mouth, before this war happened, they knew very well that there is a big problem with far-right violence in Ukraine. Extremism. You don't go around renaming street signs at a rapid rate in, in honor of Nazi collaborators if you don't have a problem in your country with neo-Nazis and far-right extremists. It just doesn't happen. And for that to happen... For street signs to go up and statues to go up, the government's involved. And we know that the neo-Nazi militias that were brought into the Ukrainian National Guard, funded by the United States and supported and integrated into the Ukrainian government, we know that's a reality. It is well documented. And for the U.S. government, the Democratic Party, not to not want to audit where its weapons are going because they think it sends a signal to Ukraine about the doubt about 
that, that, that Ukraine may doubt their support is a sad, sad commentary. These people care more about what foreign extremists think than about their own people. Because we have a violence problem in this country. At the very, very least, this sends a horrible message about violence. Violence solves problem. Flood it with weapons. Weapons is the answer. Not diplomacy. Weapons. Not dialogue. Weapons. Have a problem? Ship a gun. Have a problem? Ship a rocket. What's going on here? Hypocrisy. As I always say, hypocrisy and mendacity. To talk about gun control on a domestic level and to ship weapons, $100 billion worth of weaponry and financial aid for a proxy war within a year and not to want not even wanting to know where it's going if in fact it's actually reaching its destination which is horrible enough because the ones that are getting to their destination as i said are often being used to hit schools civilian objects hospitals in the donbass right now as documented before the United Nations by this professor from the University of Pittsburgh Law School. Where do we go from here? What, what, what we have is a problem where we have elites that don't care about people, ordinary people. Not enough to, to warrant dialogue or a path to peace over profits over hurting their adversary for the sake of profits everything comes down to seems to come down to profits profits for their friends in the weapons industry the military industrial complex and uh, and the the little the the According to them, how they see it, the little people, the people, the plumbers, the construction workers, the, the teachers, the gardeners, the engineers, they're the ones that get hurt. They're the ones that are shipped off to war. They're the ones that are being killed in American schools. It's their, their friends, this circle, this permanent class in Washington and in Brussels and in Paris and in Berlin. And they're all on the same page. And people ask, Is it the Europe, are the Europeans, are the Europeans, you know, vassals? Or are the Europeans stringing 
along the United States, bringing them along and, and using their power to promote their colonial agenda because they don't have enough power unto themselves. That's an interesting question. You can find answers for both sides, but the end goal is they're on the same team. The end result is they're on the same team. And to say that Europeans are vassals, governments, is true. You don't have an occupation uh, of 40,000 people willingly on your soil in Germany. And military bases spread out all over if you're truly an independent country. Yeah, Germany does it for economic reasons. They don't have to pay for a big military. They get free defense. There are a lot of aspects to it. But the end result is that European leadership want the U.S. to be their overlords. They want it. And the U.S. wants to do it as well. They're on the same team. I'm not talking about the ordinary European citizen going to work as a plumber because they're in the same boat as the ordinary American citizen. They're out of the loop. Because they vote for uh, Macron or, or, or somebody else or they vote for, for Merkel or Schultz, it's a bit of a different system in Germany if they vote for one party or the other. And they think they're making changes. But the elite, and, I, and I've seen it myself, you know, to a certain degree, been around in my, with my graduate studies. These people, they're, they're in their own little clique. They're in their own little bubble. And that's true whether you're in Washington or whether you're in Europe. And so the Europeans, the, the average person, may be duped by their media, the propaganda about creating a proxy war, having a proxy war with Russia, or they might not, but it's really irrelevant because the fact is we have elite circles that are running the show here. They're running the show and they couldn't care less about what you think. So where do we go from here? I'd like to hear your thoughts. You can always voicemail in a message at one eight 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 nine seven ILEG. That's one eight 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 nine seven ILEG or four five three four. Let me know what you think about this. How do you feel about your money, your taxpayer money, going to Ukraine for a proxy war and not being audited? In another story. New York Times is releasing a report saying thousands of teens are being pushed into military's junior ROTC in high schools across the country. Students are being placed in military classes without electing them on their own. The only word I can think of is indoctrination, one parent said. In Detroit, on her first day of high school, Andrea Thomas looked over her schedule and found that she was enrolled in a class with an unfamiliar name, 
J-R-O-T-C. This is from the New York Times. She and other freshmen at Pershing High School in Detroit soon learned that they can be placed into the Junior Reserves Officers Training Corps, Corps, a program funded by the U.S. military designed to teach leadership skills, discipline, and civic values, and open students' eyes to the idea of a military career. In the class, students had to wear military uniforms and obey orders from an instructor who was often yelling, Miss Thomas said, but when several of them pleaded to be allowed to drop the class, the school administrators refused. They told us it was mandatory, Miss Thomas said. So these JR2C programs are taught by military veterans at some 3,500 high schools across the country. They're supposed to be elective, and the Pentagon has said that requiring these students, students to take them goes against the guidelines. But the New York Times found that thousands of public high school students were being funneled into the classes without ever having chosen them, either as an explicit requirement or by being automatically enrolled. So I encourage you to go look at that report in the New York Times. How are you going to have peace studies in a system like that? You can have one or two teachers or handful of teachers that mean well. But the overriding message around it is that this school, these schools, these public schools are getting funded by the government which is enmeshed in the military-industrial complex. And now they even have mandatory classes for the JROTC. So everything around it is talking about military, violence. You got JROTC. You have funding coming from the, the, the government, so much so that when you have a very influential professor, he's gonna, he or she is gonna have a very hard time dealing with a lot of pushback if he's going against the prevailing winds. And they'll push these people out. And others will self-censor. Because the prevailing culture around it is militarism. And these public institutions aren't going to bite the hand that feeds them. In fact, so much so that after time they start and have and now do believe all the propaganda. They believe they're doing the right thing. Instead of teaching values about peace and diplomacy, you get people like Donald Rumsfeld being a professor at Stanford or a lecturer at Stanford. And so the question is, how can you really have peace studies really influence students to have a peaceful outlook about international relations when all around them, the culture, the school system is bearing down, down on them with militarism and violence? There are brave teachers out there that are trying their best. But it's an uphill battle when individual teachers are going against the entire system.
we'll talk more about this in, in future shows. It's, it's a whole topic unto itself, but check out that article. It's uh, pretty shocking to think that students show up to get their class schedule and suddenly they're being yelled at by an army officer uh, in high school. I'm sure they're thinking about, whoa, didn't sign up for this. They thought they were going to get home ec and calculus or geometry, and now they're in the army. Now, it doesn't make much sense. So we need peace. We need peace. And so where do we go from here? We need a diplomatic solution in Ukraine. We need to understand the longer this goes on, more and more people, average Ukrainians, are going to be hurt. More soldiers on both sides will die. And Ukraine is not going to win. That is a pipe dream. It's a, a fantasy. Winning for the West is to hurt Russia. That's what they want. And the Ukrainian people, they're pawns. They're pawns. If that weren't the case, then the response would have been totally different in April. They would have said, hey, this is a peace deal. This is a good peace deal. Let's push for it. Let's put our entire diplomatic corps, all the, France, Germany, the United States would have all been pushing for this peace deal instead of flooding Ukraine with weapons. The United Kingdom would have been pushing instead of flooding Ukraine with weapons. And that's sad. That's sad. Because they're just involved in perp perpetuating, perpetrating more violence, killing and suffering. Until next time, as always, keep the faith. been listening to Eye on Global Politics with Dr. Paul F.J. Aranyas. If you enjoyed this podcast, we hope you will share our International Law Education Group web address, ileducationgroup.org, with your family, friends, and colleagues. Don't forget to check out ionglobalpolitics.com for future articles and podcasts, and to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We look forward to welcoming you to another episode of Eye on Global Politics.